It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, once again, I'm Jeff Cranson, and this week I'm pleased to be talking with three people at the Michigan Department of Transportation about COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, and how the department is reacting to the health crisis and helping support relief efforts. First, I'll be speaking with Scott Green, manager of the MDOT unit that issues permits for commercial haulers about decisions to grant exemptions on seasonal weight restrictions for trucks that carry food and vital supplies. After that, Gene Rustman, who's the director of the Office of Passenger Transportation, joins me to talk about the effect on public transit services and how agencies are adjusting. Lastly, I'll speak with Greg Brunner, who's the director of the Bureau of Field Services, and he'll talk about this year's road and bridge work and whether this health crisis will have any impact on that. But first, I'm, I'm here with Scott Green. Scott, thanks very much for taking the time to do this, and could you talk a little bit about your overall operation and what you guys do? Uh, yes, Jeff. Thank you very much for uh, having me on here. Um, our overall operation here uh, in this section for MDOT, we uh, 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 take in applications for transport permits. That would be like the oversized or overweight roads or loads that move down our roadways. Um, and then other areas we cover here are driveway permits, uh, utility coordination within our MDOT projects, and also uh, project agreements with uh, different agencies regarding cost sharing. Uh, that's the grand overview. Uh, on the, the with regards to the transport permits, our unit here we have five permit agents and a supervisor. Uh, so there's six total folks that uh, review these permit applications that come in. And what they're looking for is uh, things to keep our protect our infrastructure, our bridges, and our our roads. And then also to um, uh, make sure all the necessary restrictions are put on those loads and that the route is approved um, for that load to move down. Yeah, so there's a couple of different things going on there, but the, the reason this is in the news right now is because of the decision over the weekend to basically grant exemptions for very specific uses of, of trucks that are that are basically supporting the COVID-19 relief effort. Um, and those exemptions are just for seasonal weight restrictions that we put into place uh, every spring. Um, I think it's been somewhat earlier in recent years because of the mild winters. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, they've been going a little bit earlier, and but not lasting as long. If they go on er- earlier, they usually come off a little bit quicker, too. Right. So talk about, you know, what you think that that does and, and that decision to uh, to allow people that specifically are are helping with that relief effort. Um, obviously, you you supported the idea so i guess tell me how you think that came to be well um with regards to temporary uh, or the seasonal for spring weight restrictions it, it reduces the axle weights on trucks uh between 35 and 25 percent on certain roads which are susceptible to uh damage when the thaw is actually coming out of the ground and the roads are actually drying out from the uh, all the moisture obtained over the winter and uh in particular with this regards this this uh, executive order it's, it's only allowing those trucks the um that will be um, can haul legal axle weight to go down those some of those restricted routes. And within Michigan, uh, on our truck operators map, these are routes that are detailed by red lines, either red solid line or red dashed line. And so we don't have a whole lot of those on the Michigan State trunk line system. And uh, they're kind of spread out throughout the state, so there's many ways mm-hmm. to get around those areas anyhow um, while operating at legal axle loads during spring weight restrictions. But this will allow um, these these trucks to reach communities where those essential supplies are needed, such as medical supplies, testing kits, um, sanitation supplies, uh, disinfectants, hand sanitizers, and also, for most importantly, restocking a lot of our um, grocery stores with uh, the stuff people need. Um, 
Yeah, certainly food is a is a big driver of this. So um, I think, and we'll link to the to that map that you're talking about on the site so people can see exactly you know what that is. But I think that there the confusion is, and you pointed this out pretty clearly that we're not talking about overweight trucks. This doesn't allow trucks beyond legal loads at all. It, it allows what would be legal loads all year to travel during this this spring weight restriction period. Correct. Yep. So and only for only only for uh, direct assistance uh, for the COVID nineteen relief a- efforts that are going on. And I, I think that in the, the executive order that the governor issued, which is broader than what we're talking about with the the spring weight exemptions, the executive order applies more broadly to permitting by MDOT and to, to local ordinances by communities. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? I, I mean, these are these are local road agencies. These aren't MDOT jurisdiction roads. But I'm, I'm guessing that you know a little bit about why they have some of those ordinances and what the idea is to have those in the first place. Oh, it could, um, many varied reasons. It could be uh, traffic density in those areas. They want deliveries to occur during non-peak travel times because the truck may have to park in the lane of traffic unload um you know it could be noise ordinances around there um many different factors that come into that yeah they could be close to a residential neighborhood and Mm -hmm. noise could be a factor early in the morning or late in the day for sure correct correct so um so talk about while we while we're here and we got this i think that a lot of people probably wonder i mean you explained especially in the spring when you know the soil's softer and the roads can heave and that's why you know we have what we call a pothole season but Overall, there's a lot of misunderstanding about Michigan's truck weight laws and our per-axle system and, and why we do it that way and how it works. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, uh, I'll try the best I can. <laughs> it's a pretty complex system we have. But, but uh, basically, uh, MDA, our, our state law uh, specifies that uh, axles space a certain distance apart and have a certain amount of load on them. Um, and within, with regards to that... Um, on 11 axles uh, in a perfect configuration that can support up to 164,000 pounds of gross weight. And each one of those axles will have about 13,000 pounds on them, give or take. Um, some axles can have a little bit more depending where they're at within that spread of 11 axles. Whereas, So that allows us to go up to a higher overall gross weight to be able to um, haul materials and supplies uh, without getting uh, permits because that would be our legal axle loads and they meet those, those requirements. Many other states that surround us actually uh, they have to start getting permits once they exceed 80,000 pounds on the, on the truck um, interestingly enough most of those uh, the axle weights on those 80,000 pound interstate trucks are typically a little bit higher are a bit higher than our um, our axle weights that we allow for the 164,000 pounds so basically if you think about it our axle weight law helps spread the load out uh, over a greater portion of the road and instead of concentrating it on um, just a few axles. Yeah, I mean, I think the science behind it is is well supported. It's I I always I the analogy that I use for people is your refrigerator. Does it stand upright or do you lay it down? And how would you spread the weight out more? Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I think that that that's that's highly misunderstood. And it's also important to point out that those really big trucks that you're talking about, um, you know, the the ones that are much more than eighty thousand pounds that get up into the 160,000 pound range are fewer than 5% of all the trucks on Michigan roads. 
Oh yeah. In fact, there, there's most most trucks on Michigan roads are less than 140,000 pounds, I believe, gross. Yeah. So that's kind of misunderstood too, Scott. I, I don't know if you thought uh, as things unfolded the last couple of weeks that what's going on with this this virus and uh, the efforts to to try to you know mitigate it and slow the spread would would touch you and and your particular operation within the Department of Transportation, but it has now, and uh, you guys seem like you're dealing with it and, and uh, you know, trying to be as helpful as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep, because uh, spring weight restrictions, they typically tend to, uh, we get a little bit lower number of permits coming in per day, and uh, they're usually spread out a little bit more, and then uh, we have five staff on board that are uh, highly qualified and very efficient in their time to be able to uh, issue these permits. And you can turn most of them around in the same day, right? Yes, yep. Yeah. That's in huge. fact, when I checked earlier today, I think we only had six permits in the queue at that moment. So they're they're jumping on them pretty quick. That's great. Well, we'll see uh, how this develops and if uh, anything needs to be extended. Um, you know, we hope not, but let's face it, this whole thing is a time of uncertainty. So we'll have to just keep an eye on it. Yeah, and just to put that six in perspective, typically we get between four and 500 a day. Wow. Permits coming in. So... <laughs> So, like I said, they're jumping on pretty quick, and I can check at any moment. And there's there's very few in the in, in our permit queue. Yeah, that is good timing, I guess. If uh, if there's anything to be said for it. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. So, once again, as promised for the second segment of this week's conversation, I'm going to be speaking with Gene Russman, who is the director of MDOT's Office of Passenger Transportation, and has relationships and contacts with the transit agencies across the state and is following very closely how this this uh, health crisis is affecting transit agencies and the difficult decisions they have to make about how to you know make sure that their employees and customers are safe and that they still provide what really is an essential service so thanks gene uh, for for taking time to do this can you talk about some of the difficulties these people are facing yeah, I'd love to, Jeff. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's a really difficult time um, for everybody across the state, and the transit agencies are really struggling trying to balance keeping people safe and making sure that includes getting people the essential services they need. So many people around the state really rely on public transit to get to medical appointments, and I'm talking not just see the doctor, but get dialysis, get cancer treatments. Um, they rely on transit to get to the pharmacy to get the medications they need to stay alive, to stay healthy. So they're working really hard to balance out all of all of that. So they're taking measures to, you know, disinfect their buses frequently and um, and provide disinfectant for the passengers getting on, asking passengers to to still be mindful of of social distance to you know sit farther away from other people on the bus if they can. Um, a lot of them are going to free fares, especially urban systems, um, because money is where those germs can transfer from the money and and everything that that touches. So a lot of them are implementing that, especially on the urban route systems. Um, you know, obviously this is going to cause a financial burden, but it's it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that handling of, of currency is a real issue, which is why both the Blue Water Bridge and Mackinac Bridge have gone to cashless payments, you know, credit cards, or um, in, in the Mackinac Bridge's case, using your sticker or MacPass, just, just because uh, I've been reading about this the last couple of days when the conversation came up, and I had no idea the, the, 
the germs that are held within a you know paper dollar bills. So yeah, I think we're all learning a whole lot about how germs are spread because of this, which will hopefully help keep us all healthier in the future. Um, getting back to doing things we all knew we should have been doing in the first place, and some things we just never thought of before. And you know, Jeff, it's interesting you say that. You know, they're all going to cashless, and that's what some of the agencies have already been working towards, and that'll help us really understand why it's so important to improve the technology and a lot of transit systems that we need to invest in systems in new technology that will allow for cashless payment on buses. Um, I think this will really help step up our, you know, gathering information and actually taking that leap and, and implementing some of these new technologies that help us avoid having to take money from my hand and put it in your hand or even put it in a fare box that someone later has to touch. So Yeah, so we know this is a fluid situation and things are changing rapidly and even by the time you and I get done recording and, and this posts, something else will have happened. But so far, SMART, which serves the suburban communities around Metro Detroit and the, the Detroit Department of Transportation, which operates the buses in the city of Detroit, have both gone to that... Uh, that free fare system. Are there others? Do you know? Yeah, I believe that many of the urban systems, um, I believe that Saginaw has implemented that, Ann Arbor. Um, I can't give you a full list because, like you said, they're coming in fast and furious. Um, we are trying to, you know, they are, make sure that you go out to the website for your transit system. Well, people are going to be riding transit. Just go out to the their website, and they'll have posted out there what measures they're taking, if they've gone um, fare-free. I know the whole Detroit area is doing it. I think most of the urban systems, for the rural systems, I'm not 100% sure, but again, I really encourage people to just go to the website and check and see what's happening at each of the systems, at the system you take. Some of them have had to go to essential services only, so if you're calling for a ride, to just go visit somebody, they may turn you down because they're trying to limit people's exposure and help people make the right choices about, you know, what they do. But if you're calling for a ride to dialysis or anything, you will get their ride and whatever it takes to get you there, the, the systems will be working with you to get there. Um, and for everybody else, just realize that, especially in the rural areas, it's very simple for the buses aren't packed all the time. So it's easy for them to go in between passengers and disinfect the buses, and that's what they've been doing. Um, but they, they're they trying right now to, to stay open at least to get people to essential services. And, and in each area, that's, you know, they can define what that essential service is. Is it doctors? For some people, it's getting to jobs. Like they, medical, the medical community, the healthcare workers have to get to their jobs so that they, they can take care of the rest of us. Well, yeah, in Grand Rapids, for instance, the state's first BRT, which yeah. serves all the health operations, and um, I think in Cleveland, isn't there BRT known as the health line? So. I believe it is. I think you're right, and, and you know, and we have a lot of people that come across the border to get to, to work in hospitals in Detroit, and so we're trying to work and make sure that that all still happens, that people, that healthcare workers especially, can get where they need to be, that people who need medical services can get where they need to be, and the transit industry, you know, they're, they're, they're out there to help people. That's people aren't in that business to make money. They're in it because they they care about the people 
in this state, the people that they're transporting. Well, it's more important than ever. I mean, we're, you know, we've kind of preached this mobility for all mantra the past few years with the first mobility challenge, which you were highly involved in and helped direct, and the second mobility challenge, and it's all about offering mobility to everybody um, from a social justice standpoint. And so now here you are with a staff that's highly committed to that. And like you say, the staffs at all these transit agencies are highly committed to that. And they've got this balancing act like so many things um, in this health crisis that they've got to figure out how to still serve people but try to keep them safe. So um, exactly. I think it's great that you and your staff are doing what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I just you know hope everybody has patience with the, the process and realize that, that the system's all are trying to keep the best interest of their passengers in mind. So the decisions they're making are, are fully based on how do we keep people safe and how do we make sure they get the services that they need to get to keep to stay healthy. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll find those various sites and post the, uh, the links on the, sh- the show notes so that people can go to those sites to find out what agency's doing what, knowing that it, uh, it's evolving all the time. But Thanks for all taking right. time to do this, Gene. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Stay healthy. Yeah, you too. And as promised for the third segment today, I'm going to be talking with Greg Brunner, who is the director of our Bureau of Field Services, which oversees you know, construction pretty much uh, across the state, all levels on the trunk line system, roads and bridges. And we're going to talk about what the precautions and, and the advisories and everything that we're dealing with with COVID-19 might mean to this season's construction. Greg, thanks for taking time to do this. Thanks for having me, Jeff. So just, you know, to start with, I guess, uh, right now, do you see any reason that this will delay any project starts or anything that we're doing to to prep for the season? Uh, As of right now, we're going to continue our normal operations and anticipate all of our construction projects will remain on schedule. Um, We're taking precautions as defined by the CDC and others to keep our employees safe and limit their exposure. But you have to remember a lot of our construction sites out there were people working in the wide open where they aren't within six feet or those other types of limits that actually apply. So we're following those recommendations. So as it is right now, when would you say most projects are really going to be begin in earnest? I mean, when will dirt really be flying? Um, each project on a slightly different schedule, but we anticipate within the next month those contractors will be out there working on the project, and we'll have our field folks out there doing the inspections and just to kind of accommodate some of their operations. Um, you know, we're having them stay in their space, stay away from the larger groups of 50 as recommended, and kind of just do what they do to be safe while continuing to deliver our road program. Have you been having conversations with uh, the contractors or their representatives about, um, you know, what this should mean to them and their practices? Um, We continue to work with contractors on a daily basis to be mindful of this, and they have the same thoughts as us on, again, keeping their employees safe while continuing to deliver the construction programs that we have scheduled for the year. Yeah, and a number of people involved in these projects are consultants that can work remotely if they are doing, you know, the kind of work that involves a lot of a lot of uh, computer work, just like uh, just like the planners and the, the other people that are on the front end of these projects. Right, and MDOT as a whole, we're highly encouraging our staff to stay home um, and away from those types of situations where 
they can still accommodate their normal day jobs. So that's ongoing both with us and in discussions with our consultants out there that are also doing some of the work. Yeah, and I'm hearing that from people, um, you know, across the board, all professions, um, obviously many of the state agencies, but many of the local government agencies and, and many in the private sector too. So, you know, best case scenario, uh, things start to get better uh, in the next few weeks, and we look forward to a, a robust construction season. Um, some of the projects that are part of the bonding program, the Rebuilding Michigan program that the governor and the State Transportation Commission approved will actually be launched this year, just really a handful of those. Um, but how are you feeling about our preparation overall for, you know, what's going to be ramping up into a heavier and heavier construction season for MDOT? Well, since the announcement, we've actually been doing an assessment and looking at our program across the board to identify kind of best practices or things that we can do to deliver, and we're confident that we have a good approach moving forward into this construction season here. And again, we've not only been looking at this from an internal standpoint, but we've been discussing it with our consultant partners and also with um, industry themselves just to make sure that everybody is on board and confident that we can deliver. Are you um, hearing anything from your contacts in other states or, you know, through various national groups about this? Um, everybody's probably, I would guess, trying to abide by the same precautions. Um, it sounds like everyone's taking a relatively similar approach um, to the precautions that have been given out. Um, and as things come up, new types of issues or concerns we encounter, we actually do ask our counterparts in other states, other departments of transportation, you know, if it's something that's been discussed there and what they've done moving forward, more or less looking for best practices around the country as well. Yeah, great. All right, well, I think uh, as this summer wears on, because this is going to be an interesting construction season, I'll probably, you know, be talking to you some more about this, but for now I think uh, it's, it's helpful to know that uh, with all the things that are being affected and, and being paused or at least curtailed because of uh, the virus that sounds like, you know, rebuilding roads and bridges, which is a pretty important thing in Michigan, will continue. Sounds good. Thank you, Jeff. Okay, thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. And I want to give a special thanks to Corey Petey, who uh, does the sound engineering for the podcast, and to Sarah Martin uh, of MDOT, who does the show's intro and closing. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.